0: Welcome back to the show, ladies and gents. I am one of your hosts, Tiffany E, and I am going to be telling you guys about the Extreme Rules predictions and giving you guys a few storyline recaps. So if you want to listen to how I break down each of these matches and the feuds behind them, then keep on listening. I'll see you guys in there. (laughs) Now, Extreme Rules isn't exactly one of my favorite pay-per-views. It seems WWE doesn't take a lot of time into producing Extreme Rules. They just call it Extreme Rules, slap a couple matches on there, give us a stipulation or two, and they're like, there you go. Extreme Rules. Blood in the streets. It's amazing. But in all actuality, Extreme Rules sucks donkey ass. But I'm a gluttonous WWE fan. I watch it even though sometimes I despise them. However... I'm going to give you guys the predictions for this very, very small match card that we're going to be watching and critiquing and shitting on tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. I believe it starts at 7. Now, let's start with the big kahuna. Now, WWE's Extreme Rules is going to be in Columbus, Ohio. It is one of our co-hosts, Nicole's hometown, so shout out to you, my big sis, but The first match that we're going to talk about is the Universal Championship. With Roman Reigns versus the demon Finn Balor. Now, this story is a bit more convoluted than it needs to be. But the reality is, a few months back, Finn Balor debuted on the SmackDown roster, and he made it very clear that he was not going to be the way that he was when we originally saw him. If you remember when Finn Balor first debuted on the main roster from NXT, he was arrogant and cocky, but he was a nice guy at the at the core. Him and he didn't really make a lot of waves or cause any trouble. He kind of did what he needed to, which was show up, show out, steal the show, and become the numero uno guy. He used even his alter ego, the demon Finn Balor, to do this on several occasions and even became the inaugural Universal Champion, the first, the number one. But he got injured. And he had to relinquish that title right after he had earned it with one arm. That was the beginning of the change of Finn Balor. After that, Balor started getting booked in smaller card matches, smaller card feuds after he came back from his injury. And then Balor wanted to go back to NXT. So he did. And that's when (laughs) Prince Balor... Debuted. The heel, unrelenting, unapologetic version of Finn Balor. Beyond arrogant, but could back every word that he ever said and did, and was very much a dominating champion after Adam Cole's dominant reign. He ended up dropping the title to Carrion Cross, and we hadn't seen him in a couple months. And then he appears on the main roster on SmackDown. Right when we start getting crowds again, Balor shows up. Almighty. And he comes with a purpose. He wants to get back the title that he never lost. Now, of course, a lot of people are like, well, Balor's picked a great time to do this. The bloodline has been running rampant all over the the the, the show, period, on Raw and on SmackDown. And Roman Reigns is in his bag. This is probably some of Roman Reigns' greatest work ever. So one would have to ask, why put Balor in a position that we all already know he isn't going to win in? And then, creeping up behind him on the back of his heels is the beast Brock Lesnar, or as I like to call him, Lego Goro. (laughs) As the storyline is proceeding with Balor and Roman, the interruption of Brock Lesnar makes it more convoluted and complicated than it needs to be. It also makes Balor an afterthought, even in his demon persona, which is over the top, the epitome of pageantry and fun he still isn't at the forefront of the conversation because there is a looming shadow of the storyline with Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and Paul Heyman. So what do you do? Two Titans are vying for the same title. And instead of combining them into one storyline, you split it. You give Balor the first choice, which is Extreme Rules, and you give the Beast the second choice, which is Crown Jewel. Unfortunately for Balor, I don't see him coming out on top in this case. They may do it to make him save face. You know, it's an extreme rules match. Which, by the way, the only match on this card that has any extreme imp- implications is this match. No other match on the card has any extreme rules implications to it. So there are no extreme rules You know, match requirements, none of that. Nobody's using Kindle sticks. Nobody's using chairs. Nothing. It's a bit disappointing. Especially for Balor. Because Balor is a diamond in the rough. He is stunning. He's amazing to look at. For us girls and gays. (laughs) And he also is an impeccable wrestler. And a wonderful character. It's a bit unfair, but if I were WWE, I would send Finn Balor to Monday Night Raw and let him cause chaos. I digress. Let's move on. To make it clear and to be plain, my prediction is that Nino Brown and the CMB will continue to run rampant all over SmackDown. And we shall see if they switch shows and become Raw's problem, or if they stay on SmackDown and continue to be our problem. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Moving on to the next match of the night, the SmackDown Women's Championship. Becky Becky Lynch, as I like to call her crotch fire, is going up against Bianca Belair. Now, this story is not as convoluted as Roman's story with Finn, But it's messy. Now, originally, the match was set to have a rematch of WrestleMania. It was supposed to be the blueprint, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair for Bianca's SmackDown Women's Championship. And everything seemed to be cool until two weeks prior to SummerSlam. All of a sudden, Sasha Banks pulled from all wwe events from smackdown to live events signings anything she was gone and no one had any answers as to why people wanted to see her on the main card they didn't and even at one point bianca was pulled from shows but then she came back and sasha still wasn't there And to this day, we have no explanation as to what happened with Sasha other than she suffered an injury that was undisclosed and she therefore was deemed unable to compete. This limbo of whether Sasha was going to show up at SummerSlam lasted until SummerSlam night. We all were sitting, watching with bated breath to see if Sasha Banks and Bianca were going to have this rematch that we so desperately wanted to see. Well, Bianca came out and she waited and then Becky Lynch's music hits and of course the roof blew off of Las Vegas's newly crowned arena. Before that, they decided to send out Carmella to which all of us were just like, really bitch? It just makes you wonder, sometimes, are you even present, WWE? Do you understand what you're doing? Obviously they do to a certain extent, but our girl was standing there and she's just like, really, that's all of our sentiments at this point. But then, like I said, Becky's music hits, And the roof blows off of Las Vegas' newly crowned arena. And everybody's stoked. And I was like, oh, Jesus, be a fence. (laughs) I knew that this was not going to end up being a good thing. And it didn't. Becky beat up Carmella, took her place, challenged Bianca, knowing Bianca wouldn't turn her down. She then cheap-shotted the girl, and I'm going to say that with my whole chest, cheap-shotted Bianca with a hard forearm and a very weak rock bottom, to which Bianca sold tremendously and couldn't kick out of. 26 seconds, Bianca ended up losing her SmackDown Women's Championship after holding on to that title after WrestleMania and going up against Bayley, Carmella, Zelina Vega, And others, she succumbs to a forearm and a rock bottom. (laughs) I couldn't make this up, even if I tried. Now, of course, most people, all of us, were pissed, shocked, pissed, angry. And I I can't stress you enough, we were pissed, okay? All this work. You did to build up Bianca only to have Crotchfire come back and take it from it. That's right. I called her Crotchfire. Okay. Well, I felt like Bianca deserved better than that. She could have at least had a goddamn match. You know, you could have gave her something. Well, Becky. Of course, relished in it. I mean, she came back at SummerSlam and blew the roof off of that place in 26 seconds. I mean, you can't beat that with a stick, right? I mean, that's everything. Becky felt like she had ousted Bianca and her entire career in that little bit of 26 seconds. But what she didn't count on was the fact that failure breeds excellence, And Bianca was not going to lay down without a fight. Mm -hmm. So that coming Friday, Bianca came out and made her plea. She said, I've never been one to accept failure. And she said, I am a woman and I stand in my truth. I got beat at SummerSlam in 26 seconds, but it isn't going to break me or beat me. It's going to make me a better competitor, and I want a rematch for my title. Now, prior to this, Becky was out making her obvious victory speech about how she was gone and came back and emboldened the women's division and just added it back and gave it the fire it deserved. That's right, crotch fire. Throw your fire. (laughs) And Bianca came out and just told her straight up, you beat me. You were the better woman that night. But I'm not going to take that line down without a fight. I want a rematch for that SmackDown Women's Championship. And I want a real match to prove that I am what I say I am. And I still embody the moniker of the EST. Becky said no and walked away. This no would continue for weeks. But Bianca, of course, was not, she wasn't one to miss out on an opportunity. The officials made a match, a fatal four-way, for the number one contender to be Becky's challenger. And of course, Bianca won. Now, one would have to ask, why did Bianca have to qualify for this particular match? I mean, she was a former champion and deserved have a rematch for her title i mean hell charlotte flair gets a rematch every chance she gets with no questions asked but bianca had to qualify all of us were pissed of course pissed but we let bianca do her thing because a queen never shows intimidation and she also never sweats she will stand tall with her head held high And look as if the world is unbothersome to her. And that is exactly what Bianca did. That woman went out there and beat all three of the other challengers. And had a good fight with Liv Morgan. Not gonna lie, Liv gave her a good run for her money. But she wasn't good enough to best the EST. And now Bianca Belair is the number one contender for the SmackDown Women's Championship. So here we are. The back and forth between Bianca and Crotchfire for the last couple of months. Has it been interesting? Mm, That's subject to opinion. For the most part, it's been more than a month. And the only person in that particular feud that has wrestled anybody is Bianca. Becky Lynch hasn't wrestled not once. Not one match has she wrestled. So, of course, after the constant knows and the constant, will do it on my terms, the WWE officials made it official. So, Bianca Belair is the number one contender for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And they decided to make that match for Extreme Rules. There are no Extreme Rules stipulations on this match. It's just a championship match at Extreme Rules. So, here we are. We've come to the end of the story, the end of the tale. Who will will out? Is it going to be Bianca with her undying, unrelenting faith in herself, her beyond strong confidence and her ability to overcome the odds no matter what is put in her way? Or is it going to be Becky Lynch, the man, the one who has set the precedence for what a woman can do in WWE and surmount So many odds, it's ridiculous. From being the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion to being considered at the bottom of the barrel to rebounding, rebranding, and becoming one of the most sought-after superstars in WWE history. Or is it going to be Bianca, the newcomer, the girl with all the class, all the grace, all the power, all the brawn, and all the skill? And, of course, she's got all the sass, personality, and anything you need, Bianca can give. So, who do we choose? Well, the choice is yours. But I'm going with Bianca Belair. And y'all can call me biased. I'll take that. Because it's always going to be about the culture for me. But I am fair. I understand that Becky Lynch is a crafty little bitch, But at the same time, I still believe that our girl is going to be numero uno once again. So, I'm going to give that W to Bianca Belair. Well, now it's time to move on to the Raw Women's Championship. It's going to be Charlotte Flair versus Alexa Bliss. Now, for the last couple of months, Charlotte Flair has been in her bag, honey. Okay, Charlotte said, let me go get me a stylus so I can get myself together. Been wearing her little cat suits, walking around, feeling herself, okay? And been doing a damn thing with them gears, honey. The gear, some point. From the Cruella fit to the Maleficent fit to the Thanos fit. She been doing it. She been doing it. You got to give sis her props. But she's also been quite arrogant and beyond the normalcy of what Charlotte Flair's arrogancy is, okay? I mean, Charlotte has been really mean, disrespectful, and even getting to the point where she's shoot fighting. I mean, Nia G- Jax gave her a two-piece and a biscuit for it, which she rightfully earned. But I'm just saying, you know, Charlotte's been a little... Out of her mind a little bit lately. I mean, she's insulting everybody she comes across. No one's ever good enough to go up against her. She is the opportunity. Yet she acts as if giving you a match is somehow a handout for you. Now, I like Charlotte. I think Charlotte is great. And I think she backs what she says. Mm-hmm. But she's been doing a lot of shit that been getting on people's nerves. Okay. She been getting on people's nerves. Okay. Well, Charlotte ended up gaining the title from Rhea Ripley after they had their big feud. The feud lasted for quite some time. Towards the end of the pandemic era, Charlotte Flair came in and made her plea or announcement that she was going to get that title. And every woman that had anything to do with being in her way, she was going to take them off. Sis, Sis rattled names off, okay? Rattled off names. Called them all out. If you get in my way, I will take you down. She started with Rhea Ripley because Rhea had something that she wanted. That Raw Women's Championship. A feud that lasted just a wee bit too long. In my opinion but it did help Rhea Ripley get herself together in terms of being on the main roster and being a champion so I give Charlotte props for that now let's get back to the kayfabe story okay Charlotte was doing everything she could to throw Miss Ripley off her gang she made it very clear that she was not here to hold her hand or to baby her she needed to learn the game and learn it quickly or she was going to use every trick she could and she was going to take her out which is what she did from attacking her during matches attacking her from behind to making her even think that she injured her with her own chop block and came out there with a really nice pantsuit by the way real cute crop top blue pants love that outfit it's one of my favorite outfits With them same-ass shoes on, okay? Mama keep them designer shoes on deck. Anytime she got an outfit, give me my designers. Give me them with the black toe. Give me them. I like them. Thank you. Mama's not playing, okay? She's like, I'm going to wear these to the heel wear off, okay? But I digress. Even faking an injury with the crutch, she comes out there. And Rhea Ripley was like, I'm finna match your energy, sis. They even had a crutch fight in the middle of the ring. But ultimately, Rhea was able to best her. And then it came down to another match. Their final bout. They had this match. And Charlotte Flair finally beat Rhea Ripley clean. And all is right with the world, right? Or so we thought. Charlotte came out bragging and was boasting and happy and Well, Charlotte ended up losing that title. Literally, the next day, Charlotte Flair was no longer champion and Nikki Ash was champion. Well, (laughs) we all were sitting here shocked, befuddled. What do we do? The queen is no longer atop the mountain. But Charlotte Flair was like, bitch, I got to play it. I'm getting a rematch for my title because... It's always me that they cash in on. And I am always the one. Why? Because I create the opportunities. I am the opportunity. That's what Miss Flair said. And to the point, she has a point. To her credit, she has a point. But I would stand to say that they cash in on you because statistically, they gonna win the title if they do. And statistically, you don't hold on to the title too long. So, I wouldn't say that you're the opportunity. I would say you're more like the easy mark. The easier road. Okay. That's what I would say. But I digress again. So, once Rhea Ripley was out the way, she had to deal with Nikki Ash. And, well, Rhea was like, well, hold up. I had the title. I didn't get a title rematch. So, sis can't have one either. So they made it a triple threat at SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship. And, well, Miss Charlotte regained her championship, making her, what, a 13-time women's champion now, 12-time women's champion now, give or take a title removal? Well, Now she still has the most title reigns for a women's championship in WWE history, slowly creeping up to her father's legacy. And she's been on SmackDown, well rather on Raw, excuse me, wreaking havoc, forcing us to listen to her long diatribe monologues about how she's the greatest and no one can beat her. Not to mention, she went up against Nia Jax, as I mentioned before, had a shoot fight because she was overdoing it. And then she had a match with Shayna Baszler, to which she beat both women. But in that shoot fight, she lost Shayna Baszler. I mean, Nia Jax beat her in that shoot fight. And in the match, she got two pieces in a biscuit and a loss. So she had an extra piece on the end of that two piece in the biscuit, honey. But anyway. One would have had to ask who's left on the roster for her to go up against. She's taken out pretty much all of the number one contenders from Rhea Ripley to Nia Jax to Shayna Baszler to even little old, almost a superhero, Nikki Ash. So who was left to come up in the bag? <sighs> and here we have the dark one, Little Miss Bliss consistently bliss has stuck into her bag now for her to her credit for the last three years bliss has been out of main title contingency she has not challenged for that raw women's or smackdown women's championship for the last three years so she's been preoccupied being a part of bray wyatt's clan being a part of the tag team with Nikki Cross at the time, and really staying out of title contingency. So it would only be natural that a five-time women's champion would come in and be like, hi, I'm next in line. And that's exactly what she did. She let Charlotte come out there and do her little spiel about her outfit, which was trash, by the way. And of course, how she was the greatest Wrestler of all time, and there was no one left that could challenge her and give her a run for her money. Bliss came out there and said, hi. We just want to say hi, Charlotte. Not to mention her little creepy friend, Lily. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing Bliss try to play the mind games with Charlotte. Even introducing a new doll named Charlie, which is hella funny, by the way. But Charlotte has been unmoved. Charlotte has made it very clear. I'm not going to be afraid of somebody who is clearly going through some mental struggles. And I am obviously superior to her in every way. So for me to stoop to her level, absolutely not. This little girl thing she's got going on is of no consequence to me. I'm going to beat her like I beat everybody else. And maybe I will get... The mean girl that we all come to know instead of this weird Bray Wyatt carbon copy that we've all been seeing. And Alexa Bliss was like, wait a minute, bitch. Um you come out there with the robes, your music ain't yours, your monikers not yours. Like for you to be attacking me on my originality, bitch, we can talk about yours because there's not an original bone in your body, okay. Let's keep it real, keep it funky. Everything you got, you got from your daddy. So we're at an impasse, honey. And what are we going to do about it? Well, the match has been set. It has been made. Alexa Bliss versus Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's Championship. So now that you know the story, behind these two's animosity towards each other, Who you got? Do you have bliss? The girl with a little bit of a mental complex. With a small amount of power that she has yet to truly unleash on one person. Or do we talk about Charlotte Flair? The overly confident, always arrogant, always ready champion. Well, if we're going by the actual factuals then the momentum and the time would be on Charlotte Flair's side. But if I know WWE and the way that they roll, I think that Alexa Bliss is going to beat Charlotte Flair. And Charlotte Flair is going to end up on SmackDown. But I'm leading you up a little bit too much. Let's double back and just say that I think Charlotte Flair is going to lose and your new champion is going to be Alexa Bliss with Lily in tow. Hopefully, we'll get some antics at Extreme Rules with that, but we will just have to wait and see. So let's move on to the next match. This is a triple threat with Damian Priest, Sheamus, and Jeff Hardy for the United States Championship. Now, Damian Priest earned that United States Championship, and he's been a great champion. And for a while, him and Sheamus had a pretty brutal feud with each other. Seamus was attacking anyone who even attempted to challenge him for a title. Whether it be Ricochet, Umberto Carrillo, or anyone, he would brutalize them before they could even get an opportunity to challenge for the title. Damien Priest saw him coming and headed him off. And then they started to have this unbridled feud with each other that caused more animosity and more hatred between the two of them. Now, when Damian did have the match with Sheamus, it was very good. One of the best matches at SummerSlam, if you ask me. And of course, Sheamus tried to use the fact that he had a mask on and that Damian Priest used that mask to his advantage. Problem is, once you wear the mask in the match, it becomes a part of your uniform. So, you kind of brought it on yourself, bro. Seamus has been bitter ever since. He has not gotten over the fact that Damian Priest beat him, and he wanted a rematch, to which he got, sort of. He had a match with Drew McIntyre and Damian Priest, and they were challenging for the United States Championship, to which Drew McIntyre and Seamus both lost, and Damian reigned supreme. Now. <laughs> The way Jeff Hardy was brought in was Seamus of course, had been attacking Damien. They had been having rivalries ever since in, you know, tag team matches, singles matches, triple threats, what have you. Jeff Hardy's just been waiting in the wings, you know, quietly sitting there. And then he got an opportunity a few weeks ago. And the stipulation to the match was, if he could beat Seamus in this match that he would be added to the United States Championship match at Extreme Rules, to which Sheamus earned the right to be able to compete in, okay? They had him compete in a number one contenders match, I believe, and he earned the right to challenge Damian Priest again. So, Jeff Hardy ended up beating Sheamus in this match, which was a pretty good match if you go back and watch it. And now it's a triple threat, and it's Damian Priest versus Sheamus Versus Jeff Hardy for the United States Championship. So who do you choose? Do you choose the Gangs of New York knockoff? (laughs) With the complex? Or do you choose the Puerto Rican Prince of the WWE? Damian Priest? The current United States Champion? Or do you choose the OG? The guy with all the stands, all the momentum, all the power, and pretty much most of the respect, Jeff Harding. As much as it pains me to go up against Jeff, I'm going to go with my Puerto Rican prince, Damien Priest. I like Damien as a face. He works. And he's great at what he does in that rank. And I like seeing him with that U.S. title. So I'm going to give this W to Damien and let Sheamus fall back into obscurity where he rightfully belongs. Kayfabe-wise. Outside of Kayfabe, I love Sheamus. <laughs> but I'm trying to move past this so I don't hold you guys too long and tell all these long-ass stories. But sometimes certain feuds require a lot of storyline, okay? Now, let's move on into the tag team division. SmackDown Tag Team Championship is set to be defended. The Usos are the current champions, and they will be defending their titles against the Street Profits. Now, the Usos and the Street Profits don't have a really long story past, but they do have a minor one. During the pandemic era, when we found out that the Usos and the Street Profits were going to be on SmackDown together it had been looming in the back how long it was going to take for them to have them go up against each other now early on during the draft of last year when everybody was drafted to SmackDown one of the Usos was injured I believe it was Jimmy Uso so he had been gone for quite some time and no one knew when he was coming back So the possibility of the Street Profits versus the Usos was kind of thrown out of the window for a long time. Well, when Jimmy came back and things started to get back to normal for the Usos and then the bloodline started to come to reality. The real aspect and the fun of the Usos and the Street Profits possibly having a feud and wrestling each other came back in full force and then We actually got to see it. It was booked during the pandemic Thunderdome era. We got the Street Profits versus the Usos. And I have to say, it was a very good match. And they matched each other bar for bar, move for move. So mic-wise, ring-wise... They were out there and they were doing it. And it was fun and it was great. Now, if I recall, that match ended in like a disqualification or something. And we didn't really get to see the full blown out blowout of the Usos versus the Street Profits. And they kind of put it on hold until now. About a month ago, the Usos became the champions again because Ray. And Dominic at the time had the titles. There was no real reason to continue the feud with the Street Profits back in the day because there was nothing that would lead them to possibly competing against each other again, other than just a solid feud, which I wasn't really mad at. But they wanted to have some incentive, something to, to make people drive, you know, something that would give them a little oomph. And those tag team titles would work in two ways for the Usos. One, it would complete the domination of the bloodline. And number two, it would give the Street Profits an incentive to reignite a feud that still had embers and a lot of spark. So the Street Profits, they did that. They went out there. When Finn Balor was getting beat down by the bloodline, the Street Profits came out and they evened the odds and it turned into a six-man tag team match. This, in turn, continued to spawn uh animosity buildup between the Street Profits and the Usos. Now, you have the Usos, the OGs of the tag team division, one of the most decorated tag teams in WWE history. And if you ask me, they're one of the greatest tag teams Period in wrestling. And then you have the new guys with all the sass and all of the power and all the spunk and all the fun and the love. But they also have a dangerous aspect in the ring. They're a combo pair with Dawkins being their power and their brawn and Montez being their high flyer and quick spirit. It makes them be a dangerous combination and a massive threat to the Usos titles and, of course, their bloodline grip on SmackDown. So what do you do? Who do you choose? Do you choose the OGs, the ones who have had the tenure and the time and the ones, you know, who come in in the clutch every single time? Or do you choose the new guys, the ones who have all the power and accept the smoke willingly and will fight to the depths to prove that they are the number ones, that they are the best? This is a difficult choice for me because I love both the Street Profits and my distinguished twins, the Usos, even though I'm a little mad at them right now for how they doing shit. I'm going to go with the Usos because as of right now, keeping the titles on the bloodline works for them until the bloodline starts to crumble, which is right about Crown Jewel. Once the cracks begin to show, which they have started with Paul Heyman, but once it really starts to crumble down to the bottom of the barrel, that's when the titles are going to start dropping and that's when you're going to start to see the bloodline curdle up. Dry up and die. But we'll have to wait and see because for right now, it's going to be the Usos over the Street Profits. Don't hate me, but you asked for the smoke, Street Profits, and I think the Usos are going to give it whether they cheat or not. Moving on to the final bout of the night that was announced, we have a mini match. I like to call it a mini-match because there isn't much substance to this match. This is Liv versus Carmella, and this is just a straight-up match. There ain't no stipulations in this match, and if you ask me, there's no title involved, so there should be a stipulation added to this match. But maybe WWE will do us a solid and add a stipulation later. Hopefully, they listen to me. But let me try to make this as fun as possible. Liv Morgan has been in the back for quite some time. She hasn't really been able to do much and after Ruby left and went to AEW, Liv's kind of been in limbo. They've used her from time to time but it was earlier around the time of money in the bank when they really started to bring Liv back out to the forefront. Now she was being bombarded with a challenge that she wasn't good enough, nor was she ready to compete in matches on SmackDown or even compete for the opportunity of having the money in the bank briefcase. Liv Morgan had to prove herself worthy to even be considered in that match. She had to wrestle two people, Carmella, a former women's champion and a former winner of the first Money in the Bank, or if you like to include it, the first two Money in the Bank matches. And then you had Zelina Vega, who hasn't won a Money in the Bank, a title, or any of that, and yet she had to compete against Vega to qualify to even be considered for the match. It's a little disrespectful and quite embarrassing, if you really want to know the truth. But... She beat them both, multiple times, and she was finally added to the match later on down the line, to which Liv did not end up winning. She did lose the match to Nikki Ash, but she competed well in that match. Fast forward to a few weeks ago, Liv Morgan competed in that Fatal 4-Way along with Carmella, Zelina, and Bianca Belair to be the number one contender for Becky Lynch's SmackDown Championship. She ended up being the last one next to Bianca to compete for that title shot. And she lost, but she gave Bianca a good run for her money. Fast forward a week or two later, and she's hasn't been seen, but she's put in a tag team match with Tony Storm to go up against Carmella and Zelina Vega. <laughs> Liv hits her move, and Carmella deems herself unable to compete due to the fact that her nose may be broken. She leaves the match, they count her out, and Carmella's gone. Liv cuts a promo about how Carmella's always running her mouth, and she's sick of it, and she's challenging her to a match at Extreme Rules. Now, of course, Carmella's worried about her beautiful face, because she's the most beautiful woman in all of WWE. that's also subject to opinion. She was in the back after the officials came back there to check on her. She seemed to be perfectly fine, as is her nose. Now, Zelina Vega was there comforting her friend, and they made it very clear that Liv Morgan made a challenge, and she was going to accept it. Zelina Vega says, fine. She wants to challenge her at Extreme Rules. I'm all for that. Let's do it. But I want her next week. So they had a match, Zelina Vega versus Liv Morgan, and that happened this past Friday. Vega and Morgan seemed to have a decent match, and then they cheated. Carmella interfered, costing um, Liv Morgan her opportunity. She took her eyes off of the match one time, and Zelina Vega was able to best Liv Morgan and beat her. So going into Extreme Rules, Morgan doesn't have the momentum. Carmella does. But one would have to ask, does that mean that Liv Morgan isn't going to win at Extreme Rules? No, it doesn't. Do you care? No, not really. I think this match should be on the pre-show, to be honest with you. And I really think that they should think twice before overbooking these shows i think extreme rules was an afterthought i don't think there was a much thought put into extreme rules beyond bianca and roman Reigns' match i don't think there was much thought put into it the usos and the street profits were a given they have been building that up for weeks and charlotte flair and bliss were a given because she's pretty much the only one left on the roster who's gonna give charlotte flair a run for her money So this little slap-together mash that they put together for these two, it really doesn't have much substance to it. So quite frankly, I hope Liv Morgan wins because Carmella is getting on my nerves right now. So I'm going to give the win to Carmella. And that is Extreme Rules. Now, unless they add something extra to this show, this is all we got and we ain't got no more. Now, what you need to look forward to is what's supposed to happen in the next couple of weeks. Friday is supposed to be the draft, and we're finally going to get the shakeup that we so desperately deserve. Now, everyone is eligible in the draft, champions alike, and it is very likely that the main champions of each show can switch sides. So we'll have to wait and see if the bloodline ends up on Raw wreaking havoc on Raw, and if the New Day, along with their new champion, Big E, starts wreaking havoc back on SmackDown. We'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. But I'm hoping that this draft really gives us a good shake-up, a good zhuzh, and we just start making some new, fun matchups. Now, one last thing before I go. There's also a little rumor running around, but I think it's true. The King of the Ring and the Queen of the Ring tournaments are supposed to start after the draft is done. On the 1st of October, which is a Friday, and on the 4th of October, which is a Monday, is when the drafts will be completed. And the King of the Ring and Queen of the Ring tournaments are supposed to be announced after that. They are supposed to last all the way up until the Saudi show and end at the Saudi show. Now, we already know there's going to be one match on the Saudi show, which is going to be... Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. And if Roman maintains the championship, he will be defending that title against Brock Lesnar. There's another match that was looming in the wind that I thought was going to happen at Extreme Rules. But they decided to push it back after Extreme Rules. So, Seth Rollins and Edge have been having a feud on SmackDown. And you would think that they would put that match on Extreme Rules, but the fact that Edge was injured at MSG makes it a little difficult to create a match two weeks later um, at Extreme Rules, so they decided to go a little further back. Seth called out Edge and pretty much told him that he needs to show up or he's coming to his house and killing, kicking his ass basically in front of his wife and his kids. Now, everybody knows... You don't mess with the wife nor the kids. Okay? Okay? So we all know how this is going to end. And if you don't, here's a little history. Prior to this, Edge had a big bout with Randy Orton. And it ended with Edge beating Randy Orton after Edge, che- you know, Randy cheated the first time that, well, the second time they competed against each other. Same thing with Seth Rollins same ending, different person and with a slightly different outcome. Edge is going to beat Seth Rollins. Okay? He's challenging him to come up on to to come Saturday, well Friday at Extreme After Extreme Rules. He's challenging him to show up. I suspect that they're going to have a match at Crown Jewel. But you guys let me know what you think. How do you feel about these matches and do you think that my predictions are close? Are they going to happen? What do you think? And don't worry, we've got a mock draft coming up that's going to be coming out tomorrow. Matter of fact, it might be coming out tonight. we got a mock draft coming up after this, and we want to give our conclusion to the Plain Ride from Hell fallout and give you guys our thoughts on that. So all that's coming up this week. I will see you guys in our next one, and I will give you guys the fallout of Extreme Rules and what happened I hope you guys enjoy this predictions and storyline recap, and I will see you guys in our next one. Bye. Follow us on our Instagram at d4tc underscore podcast, or you can always follow us on Twitter where we do all our postings at down for the count 19. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.